Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. My name is Dr. Casey Patrick, and joining me today is Dr. Dan O'Donnell. Dr. O'Donnell is the medical director for Indianapolis EMS Fire and Police. He's also a staff physician at Eskenazi Hospital with the IU Health System and was a residency classmate of mine and, full disclosure, is a good friend. So if I get made fun of, it'll probably be appropriate. And our first or our topic for today is going to be uh, SWAT EMS, tactical EMS, as Dr. O'Donnell is also the uh, uh, medical director for the uh, Indianapolis SWAT team. Hey, Dan, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Well, let's 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 roll right into some to some questions. Um, first off, you know, I, SWAT tactical EMS is not my forte. I uh, talked to some of our our uh, tactical guys here at MCHD, where, where most of these questions came from. Thanks. Thanks to Patrick Langan out there for really helping me out. First off, uh, one of the questions our guys had was, you know, what initial training do you put your tactical medics through when they join the team? Yeah, sure. So training is, is the big question. Ironically, just before we started this talk, I was putting together or revising a job description for our tactical paramedics from the fire department. And there's a lot of different ways to get tactical EMS training. Um, I think one baseline with the change and how we just handle basic hemorrhage control with the with the latest guidelines a TCCC or tactical emergency care committee or TCCC tactical combat casualty care you know i think as a baseline most paramedics now kind of change the way we do hemorrhage control which is a big component of SWAT medicine or tactical EMS so there, there's many ways of doing that here in Indianapolis we've been homegrown for quite some time we've had a team since 1999 um, and we really have folks who have taken our experience and have applied it to how we train our paramedics. We often say that the medicine is easy. You know, it's let's stop some bleeding. It's intervening airway, things we do every day on the streets. But the way we do it and the situation that we do it is what's difficult. Now, there are a few courses, for example, CONTOMS, uh, I forget what it stands for, but it's down in usually Maryland. It's a decent course uh, if you're really starting from scratch or some other uh, private agencies that will go ahead and teach you TCCC. Uh, again, those are good. I would recommend if you really had nothing to start with. Um, but if you have a good base or you have a tactical medic program started, um, I think you can really do this uh, homegrown, just as long as someone's keeping an eye on what are the recommendations coming from the TECC committee. Uh, really, they're the ones who give us the guidebook on, on what to teach and what's new and what's important to, to learn for a tactical paramedic. And I guess I'm hearing you say pair that with your with your own experience and make sure you're using using those to your advantage, correct? It re it really is because I think where where people have failed and and we've seen this here in Indiana specifically is that they'll go to some courses and again I don't want to 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 bash a, a, another course because I think there really are some good ones, Contoms being one of them. But it, it's good to learn the the medical principles, but if, if you do it in a vacuum without learning how you would operate within your team, then I think you're doing a disservice to the team as a whole. Meaning if you are, you want to be able to learn these medical principles, but you don't know where you're going to be in the quote unquote stack, you know, whether, where they're going to place the medics, what the SWAT commander or the team members think the medics role are, what they're comfortable with you doing, where you can be, where you can't be. You know, that's incredibly important when you're, when you're either forming a team or, or working on your training is you have to have involvement of the SWAT command and the SWAT leadership because you can come up with some great protocol on how you're going to do things, but if they're not going to let you into that area, 
then it does no good. So it's really important that you you get a base and then and then develop your training that's specific to how your team or teams operate. So with your guys' training, how do you how do you monitor it going forward? Um, ongoing medical training. So you start with your with your base, whether or not you you use a, a you know a pre a pre made course or whether you whether you do it homegrown. You get your court, you get your uh, team up and running, you know, like you guys have had, you know, for, for 20 years now, after you get that foundation, you get that base, how do you, how do you do ongoing training? How does, how do you guys in your service specifically and other services that you know of, how, how was that managed? Sure. So again, just going back to reiterate, we, we put everybody who comes through, who gets brought on the team, they get a basic training It is TC3 basic training and then and then they get introduced to just some of the basic nuts and bolts of how we do things in Indianapolis and what are the roles and expectations of the tactical paramedic then what we've here done here in Indianapolis is we've come up with a two-year lesson cycle that uh, incorporates um, obviously a lot of medical medical um, cases medical scenarios medical competencies we and I'll get to that in a second we combine it also another component is obviously operational within within operations, SWAT operations. What are we doing uh, for this? What do we learn from this thing? You know, we recently had a uh, operator and suspect get shot at the same time. So obviously there's a lot to learn. So we'll debrief that on next month's training. And then the last is, is getting to some of the weird nuances that, you know, we come across as SWAT paramedics and may be called upon to do. Uh, give an example, even from last night for me, you know, I had to call an engine truck and, you know, discuss they're in an attic messing around and, and try to get with them to learn them how the air is going to flow when they gas this attic and where is it going to go? Is it going to go to the next apartment? So we really kind of take those things and put them into a two-year training cycle. Um, and it's a mix from the medical side of scenario-based. Uh, actually, as we speak right now, Greg, Dr. Greg Ferris, who's been on one of your podcasts, is running through pediatric trauma scenarios um, this morning. Uh, but scenario-based, there is a fair amount of lecture-based um, and then a lot of debriefing, you know, because every SWAT situation can be present some unique challenges. And going back to what I said earlier, how, you know, it's not the medicine that's difficult, it's how we practice it. It's important that we, you know, when we have a strange situation that that's come on, usually the next month, we'll kind of make that a priority in our training. We'll do a, a pretty involved debrief after action and, and what are the big learning points. Excellent. So uh, let's, let's move on to another another question our folks had, and that is, you know, with your tactical EMS team, um, do you have any specific procedural treatment protocols that vary from your standard EMS ones? Sure. So we're, one of the big ones uh, that stands out is here in Indianapolis, in Marion County, We our current day-to-day -day paramedics do not carry RSI, rapid sequence innovation medications. Uh, we do make those available for our SWAT, SWAT paramedics. Uh, they have that capability to perform RSI. Uh, and if you want to know why we do that, we can get into that, you know, just because some of the situations they could be in, as well as they have uh, alternative agents for chemical sedation, uh, including we do use ketamine here in Marion County. They have that obviously available as well as Haldol uh, to, to use for that. Um, one thing they do carry that's a little unique as well on the street compared to the streets is, is they carry hemostatic agents such as quick clot, hemostatic gauze. Uh, to apply. It's interesting, again, as we, when we first started this, when I first came into this game almost 10 years ago, Casey, as we, we get older and older, uh, his, we were at, when I first started this 10 years ago, we were the only ones on the streets carrying tourniquets. Now, you know, everybody has a tourniquet, you know, even the, the mom driving her kids to soccer practice may have one in her glove box. Uh, but, you know, the world of tactical medicine is kind of 
floated into the world of everyday paramedic care. So again, really, we don't have too many variances in what we do outside of um, special protocols, like I said, RSI, some advanced hemorrhage control. And then they do have a little more leeway on their ability to medically screen somebody and clear them and saying that they don't need transport to an ambulance. Excellent, excellent. Speak for yourself, old man. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm frozen in time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, how about, you know, another, you know, big hot button issue. I'm not going to take any sides here, but I think this is a, a, a pretty good question and one that I hadn't really thought of and I'm kind of anxious to hear your answer and, and see what your guys' approach is. But um, are your, are your, you know, I guess the questions center around firearms and are your medics uh, law enforcement officers also? That's a great question. Medics? And we are. And um, and this has been a, a recent change is here in Indianapolis. Uh, currently, our SWAT medics are armed and myself included. And as Casey knows me very well, that would be an extreme shock. As uh, anybody knows me well, that was not my thing or nor is my thing. But um, the reason we became armed here in Marion County, um, it was merely for defensive purposes. Now, our role real fast, I, I go back to something I talked about earlier, our role as the tactical paramedic, we're not in the proverbial stack. We're not in the back of the line as they make entry into the house. We are stationed generally on a warrant service. We're at our, our vans, our vehicles that we drive, and, and we're there. And over the years, we found that was actually our highest risk. The highest risk to the tactile paramedic wasn't necessarily on a, a big SWAT call out with a barricaded subject. You know, that guy's in a house surrounded by many heavily armed, well-trained police officers. But when we, over the years, we found that when we were doing warrant services, our protection, our group of, our bodyguards, so to speak, were leaving and going into this house and usually in a very unsavory location, leaving the tactical paramedic with nothing more than a flashlight, maybe a loud yell. So there were some situations that arose that we felt there was a need uh, for the, the tactical paramedic to be armed on a de- merely for defense. Um, and so we did uh, about five years ago um, make the decision that we would arm the tactical paramedics and ever since then we have been armed. How, how extensive is that training? It depends. So here in Indianapolis, the way we did it is, you know, there are some folks that will go through a full law enforcement class or go through a, a complete recruit class, which is months of time. We did a truncated version um, in that we just did a specific firearms basics class. So it was it was it covered about six weeks uh, every Friday, so six full days of the initial firearms piece, just becoming competent on uh, using a pistol and how to to do things and getting qualified to be. We had to pass the IMPD qualification course as well as the SWAT pistol qualification course, so we had to learn how to do that. And then there was another two weeks on top of that of kind of the basics of law enforcement, a lot of the legal that comes in with this. But again, we're armed, our technical role, we are special police officers only during SWAT operations. So that's a little different than some teams where they're actually fully sworn police officers. We are our only police officers when we're operating with the IMPD SWAT team. And again, you're really more worried about your protection when you're on scene without you know it's really the second the second uh you know the second bad actor that you're worried about because the first bad actor is taken care of or the first group um and then you're sitting there staged and pretty much uh, lack of a better term sitting ducks uh, exactly and I'll, I'll use myself you know i've been on a couple calls where they go into the house and the target you know this armed guy that you know they thought needed 12 heavily armed men to go get was actually in the car sitting right next to me in the van, you know, and here I am. 
So yeah, I mean, there's that's what we're here for is, or that's why they are invested is for defense. Now there is the other option, and, and we were actually just discussing this. You know, in the event we were to have a large active shooter event or a large building issue, you know, the by virtue of us being armed, we can establish an interior casualty collection point, and then you know we have a way to protect ourselves in the event that um, you know someone were to to try to come in there and, and do harm. So again, that does change a little where they no longer have to leave a SWAT officer at the door guarding our, our casualty collection point. Um, but that's just one thing we do here in Indianapolis. Excellent. Excellent. That's a, uh, it's great insight. Um, how about antibiotics? Do you guys, do you guys currently carry antibiotics? We don't, you know, one of the, the mantras in, in Tim's is, you know, you only, you get, you get to work with what's in your bag. And I actually just trim my bag down and in, in size because, you know, these big stat packs were a little clunky carrying around and things like that. Right now we don't, but I think that's because here in Marion County, if something were to happen, we're going to have them at a trauma center within five to seven minutes. I think that's different uh, depending on where you are. You know, you may be in a more rural area such as you all where that transport time could be, could take a little while. So, it's, but right now we do not carry it. So benefit would be longer transport times, shorter transport times makes that, makes that, uh, correct. Fairly irrelevant. Excellent. Yep. How about blood? Do you guys carry blood products? Do not carry blood. You know, we have no way, you know, getting a cooler and, and carrying that thing around. We have no way to do that. Yeah. I will, uh, I'll keep my editorial comments aside on this one. <laughs> um, I, I, I would agree with you. I, I know that I know the answer to the next question. Um, so, uh, we can, we can talk a little bit about it. I, one of the things when I'm listening to podcasts and I know that questions are obviously staged and both parties know the answer to it can sound a little bit corny. So we've, we've talked about this offline, but uh, I know you guys are uh, at least in the exploratory phases of TXA. What are your thoughts on TXA? You know, it, it is an interesting. I think if you would ask me this question, we would have done this taping six months ago. It would have been a, no, I don't think so. Uh, but uh, the, uh, I think this day and age with the current literature and, and, and you and I have talked, we've nerded it out. You'd think two really close friends would talk music and stuff. And I think it usually goes music, family, then we talk EMS. So you can make fun of us if you want. But we, uh, I think there is some value in TXA, as we've discussed in major hemorrhage. And I think there's a role, and I'd like to introduce it in the TIMS program within the next year. Because, you know, these are people where we, you know, they're using high caliber bullets hitting big targets. And, and I think there is a role if we could go ahead and get this started. We're, we're in early conversations with our trauma surgeons, let them know that we're going to at least trial this on, on the SWAT end, on the TIM, tactile EMS end. But I think there is a role for it. It's cheap. It's uh, not incredibly, you know, you don't have to nurture it like blood products or antibiotics even, you know, and it's pretty small, it can fit in a, in a bag and I think it could save a life. And certainly these kind of. Yeah, we just, I mean, we've got a, we got another podcast coming on coming on TXA where you guys can can fall asleep while I drone on about it if you want uh, more info. But you know our take here at MCHD is is really just that it's it's fairly simple it's straightforward. Um, you know it's gonna it's gonna be similar to aspirin and STEMI. We don't know who benefits from it and who doesn't. It's not a you know it's not you don't see the cords and pass the tube. You don't you know hit the hit the shock button and and see you know see return of circulation. It's it's a little bit less less exciting than that. But again, all the things that, that you hit on Dan, as far as cost, ease of carry, um, you know, simplicity, we, we dose, we dose a single gram, uh, here at MCHD. We rolled that out last month and uh, feel like that for our, for, our, we, we, we're mostly blunt trauma here, but, you know, feel like that it, the one thing about the literature that I think lends TXA for, for Tim's for, you know, for EMS on the whole is just that 
all the studies seem to point to the earlier the better. And I think that really kind of falls in our lap. Um, we did not add the second dose on our protocol here at MCHD, just based on what you were talking about earlier with antibiotics. Our transport times, um, thankfully here, are pretty short. Um, so I feel like the, the second dose that um, you know you see in the literature can be can be initiated by the by the trauma services, and that can be you know communicated and dealt with after arrival to the hospital. So exactly. So let's close it out. Um, you know, this is we've we've talked a lot about Tim's and, and SWAT. Um, and really not hit hit on the elephant in the room, um, and that is you know mass casualty, uh, specifically mass casualty training. Um, from from a tens perspective, what are what are some of your you know preferred tra- training methods? Some that you've had uh, positive you know feedback from from your medics there in Indiana. Yeah, you know I think that's it, it's a great question. You know we always I think all of us as EMS providers want to know what's the best way we can train for for a mass casualty. And you know maybe once a year, once every two years, you'll get a you know a high school group that wants to participate or a big group of people. But you know it's kind of hard to assemble 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 people together. You know so we can do some kind of big mass casualty event. And to be honest with you, you know here in Indy, and and I'll credit uh, Dan Henson, one of our earlier SWAT paramedics, we came up. You know, we came up with a, a pretty simple triage training tool. It was honestly, it was cardboard paper with their chief complaint, kind of the basics on there. Um, and then we had them tag it. Now I'll take a step back and how we handle mass casualty triage uh, here with regard to tactical EMS and how I think we'll do it in the, and maybe I'll opine for a second should be done around the country. You know, it's the day, you know, the start triage was developed for blunt trauma, plane crashes, you know, freak accidents, big, large buildings collapsing and things like that. You know, you could be shot in the stomach running away from the scene and, and technically be triaged or green. I don't think anybody would actually do that. But what we found and what we focus on for tactical EMS is our, our mass casualty triage is, is going to be really focused on who needs some kind of surgical intervention sooner rather than later. So, you know, the people, you know, obviously airway is going to go quick. People who are dead are dead. But, you know, people with those those gunshot wounds or penetrating trauma to the the quote unquote box or the torso, those people need to go quick. You know, those are your, those are reds. You know, and so the way we we really triage it is 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 the one we can do yearly with with a fair amount of ease is we in our headquarters we we have a bunch of you know cardboard little just cardboard cutouts that have their basics of their injury, because again, that's the point of, of Tim's MCI triage. It's got to be quick. We spread them all over the campus here and, and have them triage them and then, you know, communicate that, um, you know, because communication is incredibly difficult, how that information is flowing out to command. So that's really what's worked for us. We have had a couple large active shooter drills, um, one at our, our uh, uh, local uh, basketball stadium, home of the Pacers, who are going to beat the Cavs and, and six market on your podcast but uh we've had those that have worked but uh overall i think honestly just doing this simple don't overthink it just simple cardboard dummies let's run around let's do this quick that's worked well for us yeah if you're if you're listening out there king james i uh i take i take no no responsibility for dr o'donnell here (laughs) um so please we're we're still we're still tight um as far as as far as uh, you know classic you know start triage. I think that your, your point is, is excellent that, you know, we have to understand the limitations and the fact that when we talk about MCI, you know, in this country today, um, our, you know, high likelihood is we're going to be dealing with a lot of penetrating trauma 
And um, I think the sort of the the mindset of who needs surgery and who doesn't is 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 pretty perfect. And that's it sounds I think sometimes more complicated than it is. But again, if you're shot in the chest or shot in the abdomen, you're you, high likelihood you're going to need surgery. Right. So I think I think that's that's definitely the skills that that we need to practice going forward. And you know, I'm as you know, I am from Kentucky, and uh, I tend to uh, uh, make light of that pretty frequently on the podcast. But simple works for me very well. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, j- judging by my lack of neurons, and so I like the cardboard cutout idea. I'm fully going to steal that, and uh, <laughs> I, will, I will. I promise I'll credit you again, King, okay. King James, if you're listening. Uh, I think uh, we're looking at calves in seven. So, anyhow, <laughs> sorry, sorry out there, all you Indiana folks. Um, we'll, uh, you just lost hundreds of listeners. <laughs> tens, tens of tens of listeners. Yeah. So let's uh, let's wrap this one up. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining us. Dan's remote uh, from from Indianapolis. I think they may have snow on the ground there now. It's uh, we're, uh, it's thirty five. Thirty five. No snow. Uh, thirty five and strong winds. I have been in I have been in the greater Houston area now for uh, almost ten years, and I do not miss snow in April. Um, we're recording this in mid-April, so I'm not exactly sure where this one's going to fall on the release date. So if this is a couple months from now, it is it is 35 in Indianapolis in mid-April. Oh, boy. So uh, hopefully some spring hits you guys soon. Again, thanks. Andy Adams on the board for us, as always. Thanks, Andy. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, could be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.